The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Joel's dad had a really great name. Uh, Joel was a biblical prophet, and he was the son of a man named uh, Pethuel, and that means persuaded of God. I like that name. Welcome to Exploring the Word. We are in Joel chapter 1, really wrapping up chapter 1. We'll get into chapter 2. And this is the show that we study the Bible. Plus, we take your Bible questions, and later on in the program, we will open up the telephones. I'm going to go ahead and give that number, and you might jot this down. And if you've got a Bible question, we would be very honored to hear from you. The number is 888-589-8840. And uh, Bert, don't you like uh, Joel's dad's name means persuaded of God? Because uh, this was written to persuade the people to turn back to God, wasn't it? It was. And he did a great job of doing that because he took advantage of difficulty, hardship beyond measure with the uh, invasion of the locusts, the drought. And he said, aren't you ready to listen to God? And uh, Bethuel was persuaded of that. And uh, Joel follows through, is like God. And so, Alex, we're going to be introduced. You know, I'm looking for repeated words or phrases. Guess what word we're going to come up to or phrase? The day of the Lord. I was just going to say, yes. Yeah, and we're going to see it repeated. And honestly, that is the theme of the book of Joel, the day of the Lord. You have the day of the Lord is always judgment now, you know, in that. But along with the judgment comes restoration and I should say deliverance and restoration. You know, they they go together. And the first was that of the locusts and then the armies coming in. We're going to find that in chapter uh, 2 where, where the army comes in and just does all kind of damage. But we're ultimately looking at the, I would say, the terrible day of the Lord. And you'll find that phrase. That's the exact phrase that is used, uh, you know, in the scriptures in chapter 2, verse 31. So, Alex, the day of the Lord, uh, you know, that's, that is a key phrase, and it has to do with God making himself known, and he makes himself known in his judgments, doesn't he? Well, he really does, and, you know, throughout the book of Joel, we read about judgments that are locusts and plagues and famines and vines drying up and things like that. But, you know, there is a comparison of these days of judgment, <coughs> excuse me, these days days of judgment and the judgment of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is when we think of the day of the Lord, we think of the end of time, the end of history, and Christ comes back, and that's true. But you know what's interesting is that the quote-unquote day of the Lord and the last days, which we're going to read about in chapter 2, 28 through 31, that is quoted in Acts chapter 2 at the time of Pentecost and the beginning of the church. So in a very real sense, and, and I want to be clear, there is, there is going to be the end of time, and one day Christ is going to return. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, uh, along with Joel, talk about the last days and things like that. But here's the thing, we have been and are 
in the last days, aren't we, Bert? Because, you know, Christ is risen, the church has been going forth for 2,000 years, the kingdom of God is being ushered in, he has gone to prepare a place for us, and then come back, receive us unto himself, that where he is, we may be also. We're in the last days, and Bert, you feel free to disagree, I, I think we're in the last of the last days. <laughs> Alex, I just wrote that down. As I'm getting older, I've learned to write things down if it crosses my mind, and I think it's worthy because I might not remember it in a in a minute or two. But that's exactly what I, I wrote down. We've been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. But yes. uh, it looks like we have to be. Uh, it's later now than it was then, so we know it's later on. But I do believe it's the last of the last days. Uh, we've gotten some emails lately that has, you know, declared that about what they think and agree with us that we're in these times. And and again, uh, we look at it and we see. Now, I want to just say judgment has, God's judgment has come at different times. But what we're looking at the last of the last days, let me put it that way, uh, it's going to be terrible and and i love that about joel because he talks about it and i think he does distinguish between the judgment that's coming upon them because of the locusts the the drought the armies coming to discipline them you know the discipline of the lord we can call that the judgment of the lord if we would like but here it says the great and terrible day of the lord uh you know right now if you were to go to north korea and sudan uh, some Nigeria, man, Nigeria is under the gun. Christians there for his persecution. I keep up with quite a bit of that because I'm exploring the, the missions program. Sure, sure. And so, Alex, there would be some people that would declare to you if they didn't know uh, that there was peace in other parts of the world, they would say, far as their world is concerned, uh, we're in the last of the last days for sure. So this this judgment and the persecution that comes, the judgment of the Lord that comes, it comes. Have you noticed it kind of comes in waves, and and yeah, and yeah. then it'll come with part of it and not there. But if if I understand the Bible right, the last of the last days, the day of the Lord, uh, it's it's going to be overall the world, and uh, I believe that day is close at hand. Well, that's why verse 13 of chapter 1, you know, talking about the sons of men, gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, howl, ye ministers of the altar. I mean, can you imagine uh, mourning and wailing? And let me just say this, while there have been pockets of evil and oppression and iniquity around the world, when Christ returns, the whole wide world will know. You know, Bert, um, this is probably not a great analogy, but um, I was driving the other night, and there had been a storm, and I came up on this bridge. Well, the moon, have you ever seen the moon in the nighttime sky so large? Oh, I me. mean, it just just yeah. looks gigantic. It does, like, yes. Like it's over the top of you. Yes. And for just a second, I mean, it was a little unsettling, because here's this object that just covered the whole sky, and it, it was this big orange moon. Let me say, when Christ returns and it is the day of the Lord, and Zacharias says, you know, they will see him and they will wail and lament, um, when the skies split apart and the king returns, everybody will know, and it, it will be an unmistakable cataclysmic moment of earth, 
history. Let me let me kind of wrap up chapter one for a second. Uh, the future tribulation, really, verse fifteen. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beast of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of water are dried up, and the fires devoured the pastures of the wilderness. You know, Bert, um, a few years ago, a decade ago, uh, there was this thing called the Waldo Canyon Fire in Colorado. And I, I had lived out there, and a, a number of my friends called, and we were praying, and, you know, I was on a, an AFR show, and we really kind of announced that fire before it even hit the newswire, and we were asking people to pray. But there are a number of uh, cattle farms out that way, and they they said livestock just very frightened, were running through the streets of downtown. It was really kind of pathetic. Uh, but in a time of fire, the, the fences are broken down, the, the water is gone, and even the livestock is running in just pandemonium. Well, can you imagine humanity? Um, you know, Christ is coming, judgment is falling, and people don't know what to do. But let me just say this before I throw it back to Bert. Right now, folks, you do know what to do, and that's to turn to Christ and make sure that you're born again. Uh, and if you are saved, be living for the Lord. And now is that window of opportunity. Now is that time when you can turn to the Lord and know that you've got Christ and are saved. And so don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till the time of pandem pandemonium, but turn to Christ while you have opportunity. With all this destruction going on in that day, notice what Joel says, verse 14. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather together. There's hope here. We go to the Lord. And then in verse 19, he prays, O Lord, to you I cry out. There's only one person you cry out to like that. And notice, it's, uh, notice this. This is the latter part after the after this this severe locust de devastation, the drought has come. Call a fast, uh, call a sacred assembly. Oh, Lord, to you we cry out. It's time to do that now. Where America is, it's time for you. And you said, Alex, like you said, there's going to be a greater day of the Lord coming, the terrible day of the Lord of great judgment. You can get ready by trusting the Lord, and that's what Joel was telling these people to do then. That has never changed. In Joel's day, in an hour day, we cry out unto the Lord. We give ourselves to him. You're saved by grace through faith. It was that way then. It is that way now. Only God's grace could deliver them from the devourer that's coming their way. And then we come to chapter 2, Alex, and he says, notice what he does again. Blow the trumpet. Now, that's going to be a repeated phrase that you see in this same verse. Report, uh, you know, blow the trumpet in Zion. Why? And sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, 
for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Now, Alex, you know, we've talked about dual prophecies, uh, you know, that would be like David, Psalm 22. When it when it talks about my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That right. was real for David to cry out. Jesus used that; it was prophetic. He would use it on the cross. So you had this day of the Lord concerning the locusts, and now you have this invasion of an army that's coming up on Judah. We don't know exactly which armies it is, but they're coming and they're marching. And it, notice the a people come in verse two. They're great and they're strong, the like of whom has never been. That was true then, far as they're concerned. But again, it's a picture of what's going to come in later on. I, I believe Joel takes this gradation of the day of the Lord and he builds on it. In other words, here's the locust and the drought, judgment. Here's the invading army, severe difficulty. But then there's going to be the culmination of the day of the Lord. That's what we're talking about in the future when the whole earth, the judgment will know. But here, notice, the day of the Lord is coming. Uh, Alex, again, that judgment is sure. And be ready. And that's what you've been telling us. You can be ready. You don't have to be taken uh, and not be ready. God's made a way, hasn't he? Well, he really has. And, um, you know, Joel is one of these books. It's just very, in a way, it's just very clear and straightforward. It's kind of a short book, not but three chapters. But let, let me, well, we've got a break coming up, folks. Stay tuned. We're going to read uh, Joel 2 and unpack what God's Word has, not only for that day, but for us this day. This is Exploring the Word with Bert and Alex. Stay tuned. More of Joel chapter 2. Plus your calls and Bible questions on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Don't go away. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Francis Collins, Director of the National Institutes for Health. His agency conducts and supports medical research across 27 separate institutes and research centers. Jeremiah 33, 6 reminds us of God's blessings of health and healing. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Francis Collins in his work at the NIH. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says even though the Bible is a living book, not everybody experiences it that way. He'll explain why today as we spend two minutes with Tony. A young lady will go to the drugstore and she'll get a pregnancy test kit. And then she takes the test. The test comes up you're pregnant. So she's read what the test is about. She's taken the test. The test says you're pregnant. They come to our pregnancy center. Some are abortion-minded. They want to get rid of the pregnancy. But what we always say is, before you do, let us give you a sonogram. It's going to let you see what you read about and what the color said on the strip. But now you're going to see life inside of you. And most of the ladies, when they see life, change their mind. 
because now what was written is now visible. See, if you only do with what is written and you never get to a sonogram of the reality of Jesus Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, then you're going to react without seeing what this picture is all about and this life that God wants to explode inside of you. You must pursue a relationship in order to make what the Bible has written come alive in you. So if you do not pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ personally, the Bible will stay a dead book to you even though it's a living book. It won't be alive in you. It'll just be a bunch of words you read on a daily basis because you're not pursuing a relationship. You can read hundreds of Dr. Evans' best stories in Tony Evans' book of illustrations. Check into getting a copy today at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. We're in the book of Joel chapter 2. And uh, notice these terms. Notice what it says in chapter 2, verse 1. We already covered it, but it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and notice what follows. And sound an alarm in my holy mountain. In other yeah. words, be ready. Now look at verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber, the bride from her dressing room. Then it solves about the lead. But notice that blow the trumpet. Alex, one is blowing the trumpet. The army is on the march because notice what all it says. This is pretty clear. Verse 4, their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run, and with a noise like chariots, so forth, mm. you know, like a strong people set in battle array. So here this invading army is coming. In verses 6 through 9, notice that word they. They run like mighty men. They climb. They do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everything they cut down, and, and they're marching in, and, uh, and, and here it is. They're coming in, but when they come in, and, and he tells them what to do in verses 12 and 14, and then he says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Gather the people. Gather the people for the army. Gather the people for prayer. Alex, what was that statement, you know? Uh, boys, pray and keep your powder dry. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. And well, is, that, you, you is know, that? Am I off beat? On is Joel? No, Simmons? you're right. Okay, I, it well, sounded like that. Trumpets mean a lot in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, there there are some things, and this is where I'm going to be the guy that talks about repeated words and phrases today. It's usually <laughs> Bert Harper. Bert repeated word Harper. But um, there are a lot. But the Bible has a lot to say about mountains. Mm. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about obviously the holiness of God and salvation. But 
Over and over in the Bible, you see trumpets. Now, trumpets can mean an alarm, an assembly, or uh, a call to march. Now, there's a, a, a trumpet blown to assemble for worship. There's a trumpet blown to symbol movement and marching forward. But there is an alarm because a trumpet can be a call to war, isn't it? And, and I think about when it talks about Christ's return and the blast of a trumpet, because uh, heaven and earth will really essentially go to war, although it, it's a decisive victory for King Jesus. But when chapter 2 says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess. Um, You know, let me say, it is a wonderful reassurance that Christ is victorious over this world. Bert, um, we're in Joel chapter 2, for those just tuning in, but I'm so glad, and I won't belabor this point, but I'm so glad there's going to be a day when there's no more spin, no more distortion of facts, no no more lies from the media or secular academics. There's going to be truth. And there's going to be a day when, when that which is right and that which is godly and that which is true prevails. But there's going to be some, some pain before God's kingdom is implemented. But aren't you glad that in, in a, a world of noise and opinions, the truth will prevail? Aren't you glad of that? Amen. Truth is settled in heaven. And uh, truth will prevail. And again, I know this is a cliche. We've read the back of the book, and we win, or he, we win with him is the best way to say it. And it is so truth, uh, so true that truth prevails. And that's what you want to stand on. And that's what he calls on us to do, speak the truth in love. Uh, that it doesn't mean without passion. It doesn't mean without vigor and, and courageous statements. But we do speak the truth, and that's why you stick to the Word of God so closely. And that's why Joel is so important, because you have uh, this invading army that was real then, but it's also going to be real in the future, Alex, when uh, they invade this land. And uh, they're going to be a great battle for that day. But notice it goes through all that, and I've basically covered verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 about what they do. But notice 10, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, and his camp is very great. Notice the capitalization, it, his pronoun, for strong is the one who execute his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And then here it is, who can endure it? Alex, uh, when his judgment comes, it, it comes strong. And the only ones that can stand are those who stand in with him. You know, yes. standing yes. with him. So when do you make that decision, Alex? Later or now? Now, while Amen. you have the opportunity. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's interesting how... It talks about this army that comes and a fire, you know, devours before them. Interestingly, they climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break ranks. Nobody runs in fear, and nobody is uncertain about what to do. Uh, God's judgment is a righteous judgment. It's a decisive judgment. And like you were alluding to, verse 12, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. 
with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Uh, you know what? All of this judgment might sound harsh, and yet there's always a whosoever will may come. Amen. And I love in Revelation 22, and you and I have talked through Revelation quite a number of times, and even after all these talks about tribulation, the day of the Lord, the lake of fire, the canon of Scripture before the Bible concludes one more time, God says, whosoever will may come. And so God is a God who opens his arms and, and, and offers salvation. I've always loved verse 13 of chapter 2. Rend, R-E-N-D, means to tear. And in the ancient world, it was a sign of great distress and sadness, and people would rip their clothes like, woe is me. And God says, look, if you're going to flagellate yourself, you know, tear your heart, not your garments. Because it's one thing outwardly to just put on a cry, but how about inside? Let the Holy Spirit, you know, remake your heart. You You don't need to just publicly tear your cloth, tear your clothes, let your heart be broken before God, and he'll rebuild you. Amen. And after rending your heart, return to the Lord your God. Yes. He's gracious. He's merciful. He is slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. He doesn't want to do harm. He had rather bless than judge. You you need to understand that. If you don't believe that, think of Noah. That's brilliant. Think of Noah. In his day, everybody, every thought was evil. But Noah and his family, Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, delivered Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was evil. Uh, they had rendered everything that God said was right. They were saying it's wrong, and everything God said was wrong was right in every way, perversion you could think of. But God delivered Lot. How about Jericho when the children of Israel came in? Oh, yes. They, you know, they were going to fall. But guess what? Rahab trusted God, and she was delivered. And here it is. That's what you want. God's judgment is sure it is coming. But God has made, quote, a way of escape. That way of escape is in faith in Jesus Christ because he's paid the price. And so he, he is gracious. Don't you love that? Verse 13. Lord Alex, he is gracious and merciful. How do you like those two words together? Gracious and merciful. Isn't that beautiful? It is. And so there's a call to leadership, too. Okay, the Lord will relent from his judgment. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Now here's what the people are offered the opportunity to do. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. By the way, uh, gathering the children all the way to the babies. Um, I remember reading about William Bradford and the pilgrims in the first Thanksgiving proclamation, which I think was about 1621 or maybe 1623, But he said, I command all ye families, husbands, wives, uh, uh, all the people, along with 
ye little ones to come to the meeting house, and we will offer thanks to God. And so this is an offer to all people of all ages to come to the Lord. And the priests are called, those priests who minister to the Lord, weep before the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Now, Bert, uh, before we unpack this just a little bit, which is up through verse 17, I want to throw a name out. Do you remember the name of a, of a giant named J. Edwin Orr? Yes, sure do. He was, uh, if I recall, a Scotchman who was uh, a real student of revival, and right. he became, in the early part of the 20th century, J. Edwin Orr was just really influential and very influential in the life of Billy Graham. And he said the two things that are the preconditions for revival, there's always got to be prayer, and among the church, first of all, there's always got to be repentance. There is. They go together. And uh, listen, prayer will reveal who you are. But real prayer reveals who we are before God. And uh, again, spending time with the Lord in prayer, in his word, lets us see who we are and how desperate we are. And you see the desperateness here. Notice it says, and do not give your heritage to reproach. In other words, we're God's people. We need to let the light shine through us that they'll, putting a New Testament spin on it, they need to see our good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven. They should yeah. be the difference in us. And they're going to ask, where is their God when that we can proclaim he is where he's always been, he's on his throne, he's in in in, in command. Uh but notice it says, but if I'll remove far what from you the northern army and I'll drive them away, this is verse 20, into a barren and desolate land with a face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea because he has done monstrous things. Notice, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Alex, again, while judgment is sure, God's blessing is sure on those Again, it doesn't mean it would be easy, but deliverance is promised, and then final restoration comes. You know, but deliverance always comes before restoration, does it not? Amen. That's right. Well, it has to, really. It, it does. It really does. Yeah. And two things I love, you know, do not give our children or our heritage to reproach. I mean, if you're thinking about praying for America, interceding, and being just full out on point for the Lord right now— there are a lot of reasons that that's the right thing to do, but what about our kids and grandkids? I don't want my loved ones to grow up in a socialist police state America where the gospel is outlawed. You know, let's not give our heritage to reproach. But about the secular world, why should the peoples or the lost world say, who is their God, where is their God? I want the watching world to know that our Savior is the true and living God. Amen. Don't you, Bert? There is no other one. He is the one and only. When Paul was going through Athens, he said, I see you're very religious, man. you got a God for everything. But I saw something to the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. That's who he is. He's made the heavens and the earth. And that's the whole idea about God. He's the creator and redeemer. And that's the theme of the Bible, Alex. Creation and then fall and then man's 
God's redemption for man and his world. And so he's deliverance. And, and so I, I love this passage. Uh, again, verse 21, and I, I know I'm moving pretty fast, but I can't help but fear not, O land. How you like that? After he talks yes. about his mercy and grace, he says what? Fear not. That sounds a little bit like the New Testament as well, doesn't it? It does. Be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. That's for sure. If we turn to him, be not afraid, you beast of the field. Now, you remember the, the livestock and the beasts, they were running in fear. They had no grass, no water. Uh, even the, the animals and the fig tree and the vine are coming back in their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. He will cause to come down for you the, the, the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain. Now, Bert, we, you and I could <laughs> preach on those, couldn't we? we the could. rain, Amen. the former rain. See, there's the present needs met. There's even the past things restored and then there's the future things promised and guaranteed. And that's, that's in the, verse 25. Let me read that. We got one minute amen. left. Amen. Let Come me on. read that. So I will, that's the word, restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and listen to this word and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Alex, yes, God's judgment, but God's deliverance and restoration. We we want balance, and that that and Joel balances it out, doesn't he? He really does. Folks, you're listening to Exploring the Word. Stay tuned. Hey, here's the number, 888-589-8840. Your Bible questions when we come back. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here are some of our core values. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Hey, that commentator's only telling one side of it, and it's not even right. <laughs> Some news service. That's just one of the reasons I start my day and the news cycle with OneNewsNow.com. Never heard of it. One News what? Here, I pulled it up on my app for you. One News Now is the news of the day, but without the bias of the left. They're a division of the American Family Association, so their lens is biblical, not liberal. OneNewsNow.com. Hey, thanks. You're welcome. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the World Health Organization, abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide in 2018. As of December 31st, 2018, 41.9 million babies were murdered in the womb. That's more than the 8.2 million people who died from cancer, more than the 5 million who died from smoking, and more than the 1.7 million who died from HIV-AIDS in 2018 globally combined. Thomas Jefferson once said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Lord, please strengthen us to abolish this wickedness. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Jesus said to Peter in Luke 5:10, From now on you will be catching men. Josh McDowell tells of a corporate headhunter who recruited people from all kinds of businesses to go to work for other businesses. His strategy was to pop this question, what's your purpose in life? This caught most of the recruits off guard. But one recruit rattled him with this answer. He said, my purpose is to go to heaven when I die and take as many people as I can with me. If you've been saved, then fishing for souls is your life's purpose. Jesus has put you where you are to join him in reaching people with the gospel. So cast the net of the gospel wherever you go and you will catch men for Jesus. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. But he saves the poor from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the strong. So the helpless has hope and injustice has shut its mouth. American Family Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert here. We're going to go to your phone calls and your Bible questions uh, just right now, and that number is 888-589-8840. Hey, Bert, I, I, I do want to say a big hello with all my heart to a dear, dear Christian brother. We were at the Cove this past weekend, and we talked about it yesterday, and um, there I look up, and one of our dear friends, John Carruthers from Tupelo, Mississippi, and my goodness, if uh, if exploring the word and AFR ever had a, a dear friend, it's Mr. Carruthers, and he was at the Cove, and we had a blast, and what a what a man full of joy, and uh, Sunday during the testimony time in front of 240 people plus, Mr. Carruthers said what... Uh, what the event had meant to him and AFR and Bert and Alex and exploring the word. And he told the MC, he said, I can't wait to come back to the Cove next year. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So, uh, Amen. Mr. Carruthers, if you're listening, uh, we love you, brother. We, and what an, what an encouragement you are. You are, brother. And we say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, let's go to the phone lines and let's go to Kansas and talk to Noah. Noah, welcome. Hi. Yes, you're on, brother. Can you hear me? You're on, yeah. yes. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, how are you guys doing? Doing well Good. today. Awesome, great. So I, I was reading in uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's either 10 or 11, and it's about the Lord's Supper, and Paul's correcting the church. Um, mm-hmm. And it says, it talks about um, how some of them are sick and even um, have fallen asleep, and you know, Paul refers to that as being God's judgment, but it seems like, it seems kind of counterintuitive that, you know, seeing as God disciplines the believers as his own children, uh, doesn't, doesn't inflicting death kind of seem uh, counterintuitive to God's character? Um, I appreciate your answer. Thank you. Okay. Let me see. I think you can go back to the Old Testament and find an example of this, and his name was Moses. Um, 
he was he brought the children out and he was going to take them in to the promised land. Matter of fact, when he died, he said his eyes were not dim. And I love the King James version here. And his natural force was not evaded. I mean, he, he had as much strength. Caleb did too. Caleb talked about him having as much strength today as he did then when he was 85 in place of 40. And uh, Moses, because of him striking that rock in place of speaking to it, he was taken out early. Uh, the Bible talks about children uh, honoring their parents Alex, that your days may be long upon the earth, you know, mm-hmm. uh, death is one of those things that can occur even for believers in, in God's discipline. You, you know, and by the way, thanks for calling, uh, because in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, it's talking about um, not eating and drinking unworthily uh, in an unworthy manner, and it talks about this you know, for this week, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, even more than being a little bit under the weather, First uh, John five sixteen talks about the sin unto death, and First John five sixteen is a, a kind of a tough verse to get our mind around because it's talking about a believer, a born again Christian, but who is in such a state of sin that it's almost the implication is that God really almost takes their life uh, so they don't do any damage to the church or to themselves. So the question is, if, if a Christian is in sin and they are struck with an illness or even death, is that counterintuitive? Well, not necessarily when you realize, Bert, and, and bro- Brother Bert, you feel free to disagree, We've got to remember what the purpose of this life is and is not. Uh, This world is not heaven. We're not in heaven yet. The purpose of this life is to know Christ and to grow in Christ. Actually, the whole of this world, as, as it now is arranged, is to give us the chance to become saved and then the journey to become saintly. That's right. Therefore... Uh, if a Christian is in sin, uh, living a carnal life, if they're a harm to themselves, to their family, and even to the church at large, um, I think God can allow or even send infirmities to get their attention and maybe uh, take them out. And, and the last thing I'll say is life is a gift, honestly. Every single day you're alive is a, a blessing from God. And let's remember that our purpose uh, each day that we draw breath is to grow in Christ and to be more like Christ as a witness because life here is a workshop for the building up of saints. It is. And in heaven, uh, there's going to be rewards according to what we've done. And again, death uh, for the believer. Uh, Alex, uh, if, if we believe the word, uh Glory is waiting upon us, and mm-hmm. uh, it's we call it a future glory. And so, uh, Noah, we hope that helps. Let's go. Um, and one last thing. Yeah. Um, the phrase, a severe mercy. Sheldon Van Auken, who was a colleague of C.S. Lewis, he wrote about how God disciplines us, and he said God shows us mercy, but it can be a severe yeah, mercy. It can be. Think about that. Amen. Is it Ada in Pennsylvania? Ada? Yes. Go right ahead. You're on, brother. 
That's Ada. Um, Ada, okay. I was, uh, I was studying uh, Isaiah, and uh, I know I realize you guys are doing uh, Book of Joel, but if it's appropriate, I, I was. Uh, I have a question about uh, uh, Isaiah one nine. It says, "Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like." Uh, unto Gomorrah. Now, are we those re- that remnant that is praying for America? This is my question is, uh, uh, he's a prophet, and I believe he's talking about America because America has remained saved right now and untouched, and we, we have become a Sodom and Gomorrah, and we still. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, is it because of that remnant praying? Okay. Uh, look. Go ahead, Alex. I'll I'll come in a second. Go ahead. Well, um, uh, Isaiah was writing about the time of King Uzziah, and a lot of the people from the northern tribes, um, well, had been carried away, and Judah was going to get carried away too. And um, you read about the, well, Deuteronomy twenty-eight had warned of curses that would happen if they turned away and served idols, which is what they were doing. So, uh, you know, all these, you know, members of Judah uh, and uh, the northern tribes were carried away. So your country, verse 7, your country is desolate, the people are gone, and verse 9, unless God had preserved a small remnant, they would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They were wiped away totally. So, Bert, I think in the midst of idolatry and then judgment, God did leave a little remnant to remain. He does, but sometimes there's more of them than they thought. Elijah thought he was the only one. <laughs> and God yeah. said, buddy, you're wrong. I've got thousands that haven't bowed the knee. And, uh, I, you know, so I understand the remnant, and I believe it. So you can have large remnants or small remnants, Alex. You catch what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it comes from the idea of a cloth. Uh, after you cut out, you know, your pattern, you have remnants left over, and some of them are very small. Some of them are quite large. I, my mother ran a cloth shop for a while, and people really? would come. Yes, she did, and she, people would come in, and they would get that, and there'd be quite a large remnant. I, I'm, I, I still believe there's a large remnant in America today. I agree with you. Things are going wrong and bad. But I, after being at the NRB, seeing all the people there that we heard are praying and people that we hear from, uh, may God hear your people praying. That's an old gospel song. Lord, can you hear your children praying? And I pray Amen. he has. Thank you for that call. Let's let's go to Michigan and talk to Ann. Ann, welcome. Hi. Um, yeah, thank you. I was in a church membership class a small Nazarene church here I just started going to and he was, they were talking the pastor was talking about doctrine and I just assumed they were conservative and believed in a seven-day creation and then the the pastor said that um, I was shocked when he said that most of the people at the church and that he knows now believes that God used evolution for creation and he said that the Bible original translation does not use the word day and that's supports evolution 
I didn't know what to say. I was just shocked, and I wondered what they taught their kids, and I didn't know how to respond to that. Okay. Listen, evolution is, when you look at it, Darwinian evolution uh, is a false doctrine, uh, and it is one that was started, and it's a philosophy more than that. About the word day there, Alex, uh, I remember studying it uh, in Genesis about Hebrew, the word day, and how it has a little bit different meaning. But when you read it in context, I think it does mean 24-hour day, although you have the sun and the moon at different times. But it sets the course that way, I believe, with all my heart. Yeah. Well, um, hey, uh, welcome to the club. I was, I remember as a young believer, I started going to a certain church that I had grown up in, and uh, I kind of, I said to the minister, I said, hey, uh, if I'm hearing you, did you say that um, we believe, because this pastor, he said, we believe the Bible about faith, but not about history or science, you know, and I remember I went to the minister, and I was like, um, wait a minute, I, I'm sure I heard you wrong, but it sounds like you were saying Genesis was a myth and all that, and so I, I feel your pain, because I kind of went through that too. Well, in Genesis 1-5 is the first use of, of the word for day that he called, you know, the light um, day and the darkness. He called night, morning, and evening were the first day. Now, the, the Hebrew word... Uh, the common usage is a day of, of sunrise, sunset, a 24-hour day. I do believe, Bert, I believe God created in six literal 24-hour days and rested on the seventh day. Now, I know the, the word can mean other things like the day of the Lord and a, and a, a period of time, but in the context, and I, I said this yesterday, even many of the old earth creationists that are trying to do some sort of mental gymnastics and reconcile Moses with Darwin, which I think is wrong, but even the, the academics, they'll say that the common translation would lead you to believe literal 24-hour days. And in fact, that's what the church believed for 2,000 years, yeah. and we've only turned day into billions of years when we were trying to somehow reconcile the book of Genesis with origin of the species, which is unnecessary and I think very false. Now take the Bible for what it says, and what you believe that God created in six days, that's really what it says. I believe that's a mountain to die on concerning uh, evolution being the way Darwinian evolution is, is a philosophy, and they developed a science to develop their philosophy, a so-called science, just the same way they're using science today. They'll say, follow the science when they're talking about the COVID virus, but then when it comes to identifying male or female, they do anything but follow science. And so science, they're trying to manipulate, and that's exactly what they were doing with that. Thank you, Ann. Hope that helps. Let's go down or up over to Texas and talk to June. June, welcome. Well, uh, the, the caller previous to me was talking about the subject that I was wanting to talk about on the kind of right at the end of the day yesterday, y'all were talking about that. And I'm affiliated with a ministry called reasons.org, and the people that run that ministry 
believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And they also believe in the long earth theory because the word yom, which is the Hebrew word for day, can mean long periods of time. And these are people that are very conservative and they are very, you know, in tune with God, with the scripture. So, uh, I'm, I cannot agree with the short uh, our theory. Okay. Uh, let me throw something in here, and, and hey, thanks for listening, and thanks for calling in. Hugh Ross of Reasons, Reasons to Believe. Hugh is a friend. I've had him to speak, and he actually offered me a job back in about 2011. He offered me the vice presidency of that ministry, so I'm very, very familiar with him. And he wrote a book on the book of Job, and he asked me to write an endorsement for it, which I did. So believe me, I know that ministry, I know their leadership, and I know their philosophy behind that. What Hugh and I talked about when he was asking me to move to Pasadena and be the vice president of that ministry, and I, I turned it down. I said, I'm, thank you for offering, but I really don't have a background in science. But Hugh and I had a long talk, and I know they love the Lord, and I know they preach the gospel. However, I I said, look, there was no death before the fall. And Hugh Ross, God love him, he said, Alex, death is not a consequence of the fall. I said, I'm pretty sure it is. And I said, brother, I love you, but we're just going to have to, if you look at the context of Genesis 1 and 2, day means day. And, And let me just say this, the whole impetus was to somehow compensate with Darwin. I got no interest in placating an evolutionist like Charles Darwin. We don't have to capitulate to what he assumed. Thank you, June. We appreciate you listening. Appreciate you calling in and letting us hear from you. Dennis and Isaac, we'd love to talk to you. Ran out of time. So we'll be back tomorrow. And we hope you join us for more of Exploring the Word. Tell someone about the program, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. Jesus.